This is the Hidden Why Podcast, episode 538. It's a replay conversation that I had with David Hare. I hope you enjoy it. G'day, ladies and gentlemen. How the heck are you? What is cracking in your world? Guys, welcome to the Hidden Why Podcast. Lee Mundelty here. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. For the second time, I'm bringing you a inspiring chat with David Hare. It has been it has been one of the most listened to podcasts or interviews to date. Um, this was a conversation recorded back in August 2016, I believe, so in my first year of podcasting. But a great interview, guys. Lots to um, lots to share here. David is the author of The Buddha in Me, The Buddha in You, and that becomes the center point of our conversation. Um, he's He's actually gone from a corporate life into a life of life coaching, helping others really live larger lives. And he does this by integrating his fondness, passion, and the wisdom of Nichiren Buddhism with his coaching business. He uses also popular psychology and lessons that can be learned from personal development, the techniques, etc., to help people go on and, and really live a fulfilled, meaningful life. I believe if we can begin to understand how life works, and we can do that through learning you know, lessons through Buddhism, lessons from others uh, like David. Um, you know, There's so many things that we can learn out there to really understand life. And once we understand life, we can then begin to start living more meaningful lives. Guys, you'll enjoy this interview. Let me know what you think. Jump on to thehiddenwhy.com, episode 538. We'll speak at the other end. Cheers. G'day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. My name is Lee Marnutzi, and I'm pumped and excited to David. I, today, to David, today I've got a very special <laughs> guest, David Hare, who's on the line with me. How are you, David? I'm great, and uh, <laughs> good to hear you're pumped and excited. Like likewise, uh, over here in the in the UK, it's uh, it's midnight, but I'm wide awake and uh, looking forward to wow. speaking. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm normally I'm quite I'm quite often up at this time, so this is this is not unusual. I guess it's a a, a writer's thing to be up at this time of night. Well, uh, thanks for staying getting, up for us. No, you're you're welcome. It's a, a pleasure and a privilege to be with you guys. So you've just written? Is it published yet? I'm not sure, David, because I got a I got a pre copy, I think. But um, the Buddha and me, the Buddha and you. Um, yeah, it was. It came out uh, with uh, Penguin Random House on the fourth of February in the okay. UK. Yeah, and I think it's, it's gradually finding its way around the world. I, I think uh, I think I've shifted about four hundred copies in Australia, nice. and uh, the rest uh, mainly UK and um, India, actually. So yeah, it um, came out yeah six months ago, and I guess I started writing it. About eight years ago, so it's been quite a, a long and exciting and sometimes difficult journey to get it, you know, off out of my head onto the page, and then, uh, you know, to find a good uh, literary agent, and then to to find the right the right publisher, and uh, yeah, delighted with how it all worked out. Yeah, look, can I? And you know that what I've said, I've actually put a review up there, so for you guys listening, you can jump on yeah. com and check out my review. And I did a podcast as I do with all my book reflections every Friday. Um, but yeah, mm. fantastic read. I really enjoyed it, and um, I just love that—that that sort of I don't know if it's spiritual insight or wisdom—and um, it just brings home so many positive sort of thoughts and feelings for me, and, and really helps me just align with the importance of life um, every time I read content like yours. Um, so before we start, I want to mm. go into the book, David. Just give the sure. audience a, a bit of context, your background, who you are, and what you're currently doing. 
Okay, so uh, I'm 52 years old. I'm a life coach and uh, trainer. Um, I've had a, quite a few different careers uh, throughout my life. I mean, writing's always been part of it. Reading and writing have always been uh, really close to my heart. But uh, back in the day, half, half a lifetime ago, um, I was an academic. I was actually a, a French uh, lecturer uh, at St Andrews in, in Scotland. I also taught uh, English at the Sorbonne in Paris. Uh, I then fell into PR and marketing for quite a lot of years. And then uh, with, with different companies, corporate um, context really and then uh, I guess about yeah I was about 40 when I had my my uh, midlife crisis uh, and lost a big glamorous uh, globe-trotting job uh, in PR and that's when I um, bumped into life coaching and uh, took up the offer of a, a free session with a, a coach um, and uh, that was organized by a life coaching college and they and they gave these free sessions to um to get you to sign up for the course and and i was blown away by that conversation mm. with a with a coach it was only half an hour long she was incredibly intuitive she asked me such great questions um really helped me set out on a the freelance life and it really struck a chord the the coaching uh how similar i felt it was to to my buddhist practice or how in tune it was or aligned with it and i saw no contradictions between the between them at all so i've um, now got a really fulfilling and thriving uh coaching practice i've got clients all over the world um more and more this year in in america especially la particularly hollywood uh particularly uh, people in the creative industries and uh yeah i feel really lucky really blessed really grateful and uh, I guess I mean I, I mean I coach people of of all faiths and and none. So uh, whether people uh, practice Christianity or Hinduism or Buddhism or or nothing at all, you know they're all human beings uh, yeah. w- worthy of the greatest respect and and dignity. So I'd like to think practicing Buddhism for thirty years. Uh, makes me a, a better life coach, but you'd have to ask my clients, I guess, to to check on that one. <laughs> um, so, well, mate, um, just speaking yeah. to you, and I can I can feel it in your voice. You, you know, you've got this calmness about about you, um, and that does emanate through through how you speak. And I think that's um, mm. obviously come from Buddhism because you know you can talk to a lot of other people and they've, they've got all this energy or just yeah this sense of un- unease or no or lack of balance i guess but uh, anyway i hear that anyway i don't know if i'm <laughs> off, off hey I, I go through i go through periods of uh, unease and, and lack of balance as well there's no doubt about that yeah and i think um you know maybe nurturing buddhism which is the, the school or flavor that i practice is uh it's quite different probably from zen and tibetan buddhism which tend to emphasize that calmness or peace uh most of all i think um nichiren buddhism is is in a way more dynamic sometimes i call it kick-ass buddhism because uh, it's quite it's very powerful it's about something we call you know human revolution uh transforming your life really getting hold of your life and making it better facing your own 
demons and and dark side and uh yeah so but peace isn't or calmness isn't necessarily always the goal it's often about being more energetic actually i mean it has a, a different effect on 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 different people but i think it's important to make that make that distinction that you know there are lots of different flavors of, of buddhism yeah interesting and i i, I did um because i'm actually living in japan myself now which i believe oh, cool. is where Nichiren okay. buddhism has, has come from yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, so I've looked into that a little bit as well. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. There's, there's so much to unpack in, in the story there, um, and I probably want to go. Obviously, you've been studying Buddhism for what you said 30 years. I just want to go back uh, to that. Well, uh, practice, practicing it. It's, it's a it's a doing thing. Um, it includes it includes study, but yeah, we, our daily practice uh, is uh, morning chanting in the morning and in the evening as well yeah I definitely want to I think, I think it's quite an important <laughs> say again I definitely want to talk about chanting so don't let me forget okay because okay. um, that's something that it's quite new to me you know and it seems to be I've read yeah. your book and I um, read another book recently too and it's just come about and maybe it's because I'm just touching those books or I don't know if it's it's starting to be more of a not a trend but you know it's, it's more talked about um, like uh-huh. meditation might have been you know a decade ago or something mm-hmm. um, sort of at its early stages but there seems to be some some uh, interest in enchanting and, and I certainly want to find out more from you the practices and techniques we can use plus the benefits but firstly let's just go back to um, your midlife crisis as you called it at 40 year old um, you know your, yeah. your change of careers there what was that yeah. experience like personally because I suppose you know a lot of our audience is younger um, but there's there's equally mm. amount of people that are in that position where they've worked uh, you know, they might be 30, 35, 40, 50 even. Um, and maybe they're just, you know, over their job or maybe their job has just come to an end and they're now sitting there in a similar position. What was your experience and your, your learnings from that? Oh, what a great question. Um, so, uh, I mean, I'd got, in a way, I'd got as high as I could in that industry and that job. Uh, at the same time, though, I really hadn't, didn't feel I'd, finished it and could have done it it was a global position i felt i could um do a lot more with it around the world uh so it was a complete curveball uh one of those political coups where a, a new managing director uh took over yep. uh the, the chemistry between me and this new person wasn't wasn't quite right uh and we ag- agreed to a parting of the ways yep. um i guess looking back i mean at the t- first of all it was devastating uh, a real blow to the ego and uh, a lot of fear and uh, yeah quite low for a while I probably spent a few months too long uh, licking my licking my wounds okay. but looking back uh, I guess you know in psychology we'd, we'd call it reframing but um, but, but I guess deepening my Buddhist practice at that time. I had a, quite a lot of spare spare time on my hands and, uh, and money in the bank because of the arrangement I had with the company when I left. So I, I kind of, my Buddhist practice became more central in my life again. And I, looking back, I think I'd let it really slip. And in a way, the the company had become my, the thing I built my life around. And I think I'd mixed up and I think a lot of guys do this. It's a bit of a, an ego trip. You, you know, you, you're on a whatever business class flight and five star hotels and the salary and the bonus and the prestigious job title and all that 
stuff. Uh, I think I'd confused. Stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, stuff. Yeah. Uh, toys and trinkets. Yeah. Uh, I think I'd mixed up um, feeling important with uh, what was actually important in life. That's how I tend to summarise it. So you can you can pursue all this um, uh, feeling important stuff and, and lose sight of your your family, your kids, your community. Um, all the rest of it and uh, I'm trying to think who it was I think it's um, I think it's it's not David Taylor I think it's Stephen Covey who, who said who, who talked about um, climbing to the top of a ladder and realising it's against the wrong wall which I, and I just love that uh, expression mm. I think it's in, in the, the seven habits of highly effective people and I, and I think you know a lot of us do this we don't live a conscious life I think you said it yourself in one of your uh, recent podcasts that would kind of get stuck on this of this hamster wheel you know monday morning get up go to work put the nine to five in come home uh, get through the week get to friday spend the money at the weekend start dreading monday morning on sunday afternoon and a lot of a lot of people get stuck in that trap and i don't think i realized i had done and i probably would have denied it if someone had said it to me at the time but that's i guess what had happened in uh, in that career i had so uh looking back losing that job was the absolutely the best thing that could have happened because mm. thanks thanks to that i came across life coaching personal development i mean i that's not entirely true in the sense that i grew up around um personal development books so i don't know from the age of 10 probably nice. in my house um you know there were books lying around like i'm okay you're okay or the road less traveled so i'd, I'd i would pick these up and and flick through them and, and see what my dad had highlighted in there so i guess i kind of grew up with some of that around me but um to start to make a living from uh, personal development has been uh, absolutely amazing i really feel that i'm uh, accomplishing my mission and what i was born to do mm. and it's great i've got i've got the best of everything really yeah it's nice i list it's inspiring to hear you know stories like that um, because a lot of people out there sort of maybe in that mindset where they don't believe um, in their own potential or don't believe in what they might dream as being absolutely possible. And whilst mm. it doesn't always come about um, by choice, you know, in your situation, it's come about sort of almost by a universal force. <laughs> um, and certainly I can relate to that. I was fired from my job five years ago and it's um, put me on this mm. path. Uh, mm. You know, and a nice—it's a blessing for me. And at the time, it—you know—it affected me deeply in my in my life, and how mm. I was behaving and coming or showing up, I suppose, every day. Um, mm. But it didn't take too long to get over it. And the reason why I sort of say that it didn't take too long to get over it because prior to me being fired, I was actually involved in, you know, in self-help and reading books and listening to mentors and stuff. So I had this ability to mm. to overcome that that challenge that I faced. Um, with a bit more mm. ease, at least. Um, what, was, what kind of work? What kind of work were you doing before I you got in, into? I um, was in the corporate sort of world, executive management positions. So uh, I was working for uh, a big company as a operations manager. Okay. Um, and yeah, it's just a similar situation. Actually, there was a change of bosses, and there was a bit of a clash there. Mm -hmm. And um, uh -huh. I wasn't happy anyway with the job, and I was showing up in that way, like I just was showing up without the heart, um, mm. the right attitude, and um, that. Um, yeah, I guess that forced things to happen and, and it happened for the best, I guess. Um, you know, it could have come, I could have chosen better because I actually said when I changed jobs that I wasn't going to um, do something that I wasn't happy with and that I wasn't mm. going to work for someone who I didn't really want to work for. 
um, and I continued to do so, even though I wasn't happy yeah. and I wasn't working for someone who I enjoyed. Um, mm. So it's sort of yeah, something that I was aware of but didn't bring on myself. It was forced on me. So um, mm. it's inspiring to hear these stories and certainly your story is one of those, you know, at 40 having that transition and then coming into a field where, where you're doing something you really enjoy. So you've been doing, what, coaching for about 10 years now? Is that about right or 15 years? Yeah, I qualified in 2005. So, yeah, coming coming on 11 years. Right. And also uh, been involved in some great uh, training programs. Probably the best one over here in the UK that I've, I've come across, the, the most powerful, which I mentioned in my book um, is called The Winning Edge by a great mentor of mine called uh, Richard Jackson. And uh, it's, a, it's a phenomenal course because it's not just kind of pink and fluffy, kind of, you know, do some affirmations, do a bit of a vision board and everything's going to be okay. It's actually, it's actually quite hard hitting and he's quite strict uh, and he holds you accountable. And he's been, I remember when I got stuck with my book about four or five years ago, he was incredibly strict with me uh, and basically said, look, until you get your self-esteem up, until you can see your book on the same page of Amazon as the Dalai Lama, you won't write another bloody word, so sort yourself out. So I'm not, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of that kind of coaching where, you know, you do hold people accountable and you, and you want people to do the work between sessions. I, I sometimes describe my job as to uh, take away people's excuses for underperformance. Uh, and, I, you know, I do it always with, respect and compassion but I, I never want to be just a, a crutch that people lean on once a week when they ring up you know they need to take action and, and uh, do what they've committed and promised themselves they will do so so people like him in a way uh, are a great debt of, of gratitude to yeah who was he's that? a good, a good, a, a good mentor by uh, yeah, the, the co-founder is a guy called Richard Jackson Richard MBE which MBE is a, a, a royal award you get over here in the UK. Yeah, he's uh, he's definitely worth worth yeah. talking to. Got some great great models and and uh, I use I probably use some of his stuff in uh, almost every coaching session with every client because it's that powerful. Okay, cool. So yeah, yeah so going into coaching uh, and the writing mm-hmm. too. I'm interested in in your story about writing. You say it was eight years in writing this book and you spend a lot of your time writing let's just because I'm a writer myself I love writing um, mm-hmm. certainly working on another book at the moment um, mm-hmm. and you know a lot of the audience are too so what what's your experience with writing what can you what would your advice be to those people that are like myself trying to write a book or dreaming of writing a book well take take out the word trying from your vocabulary for a start okay yeah um I think it's Yoda. It's Yoda who said, uh, "There is no try. There is only do or do not." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. having said that, I listen, like that. I, I was I was there as well. Um, advice. Well, I think I think it sounds a bit corny, but but just do it. So, I think my book was um, bubbling around my head for at least two years, and I was writing little snippets down, but never really committing to it and then um, again one of these uh, strokes of luck from the universe that didn't feel very lucky at the time I lost, it was the start of the recession in the UK back in 2009 I lost a a very big client big corporate client um, probably about 7 or 8 days work a month so suddenly I had 
time on my hands. And I thought, right, I'm going to start. I'm going to actually start writing this damn thing down. Uh, and I'm starting to feel, I guess it's part of it is starting to, you know, is knowing or feeling that people will want to read it and that, and that uh, it's going to make a difference in the world. Uh, and then the, I guess in the end, the the noise in my head got so loud and the, and the ideas I had were so frequent that you almost start writing to to sort of silence that voice in your head. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess also I I was a bit low at the time, but, but going through a bit of a patch of depression, which is part of my uh, karma occasionally. So, And I wanted to, you know, I thought, shit, I've been practicing this Buddhism for 25 years. Let's pull together all the best stuff I know about it. Um, and it might, you know, it might help me. And then I think the other... You need, you need to have, um, and I did at one stage write down the reasons why I was writing a book because I think that's a good thing to do because when you when you hit a wall or you can't be asked or you don't feel like it one day, you know, get get that list out and think, yeah, I'm writing this book because of X, Y, and Z because it's a book that that needs to be written because people will benefit from it, and it's a lot of times I think I felt um, and still do in a way, you know, that it's not. It's not my book in, in a sense. It's got my name on it, but but I, you're a kind of channel or vehicle for some sort of hopefully universal wisdom, and you kind of listen. You know, you're kind of listening and and, and writing stuff down. Mm. And then um, I think I guess the other big thing with my own book was uh, that uh, I was. I guess I thought you know you know Buddhism is really important to me. I want I'd love as many people in the world to chant as, as possible or at least not if they don't want to chant they can kind of do the buddhism without the bells and and adopt some yeah. buddhist principles in their life but what i realized um and maybe because i've you know worked in marketing on and off for quite a long time is that you know people don't go into bookshops looking for books about buddhism not very many anyway um or <laughs> to amazon right they, they go into bookshops looking for books about happiness and they come out with fantastic books by amazing authors like you know Eckhart Tolle or Rhonda Byrne or Byron Katie or Tony Robbins you know so they'll buy they'll buy something on the law of attraction yeah and uh and then you know you just have delegates at the end of my courses coming up to me saying oh have you heard about the have you heard about the law of attraction you know everything that happens to you 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 attract it into your life and I was like yeah I've heard of it but you know, I've been practicing Nichiren Buddhism based on the Lotus Sutra, based on the law of cause and effect for for 30 years. What's the big deal? You know, what's so new about it? And then I thought, well, actually, maybe we just haven't explained Buddhism as well enough. You know, so these these brilliant self-help authors I referred to have got a really pithy, uh, simple way of of um, observing life and uh, and expressing it in short wise sentences and i thought well maybe maybe buddhists don't do that very well uh, and if i could if i could write about the profundity of buddhism because i do think buddhism go this buddhism goes deeper than any other personal development teaching so if i could write about its profundity but in in a, as accessible a way as uh, the likes of Eckhart Tolle and Byron Katie and, and Tony Robbins then maybe i could create something that would be the best of the best of both so that's real that was a that was a real impetus so you have to have that 
I guess to, starting is easy. You know, starting a book is easy, but to finish it, you need to have that real fire in your belly. I mean, you're, you're a man who talks a huge amount about purpose and passion. Um, it's almost, I always think it's your catch, your catchphrase. And to finish a book, you absolutely need that because you will hit you will hit dark days. You'll, you'll hit days in the middle of the book, maybe when you don't want to write another line or, you know, I, I remember not touching it at all for, for three months. Uh, I remember right towards the end, really struggling to, uh, to finish it. So I think that sense of mission, uh, that, that fluttering in your belly is, is incredibly, incredibly important. So how, how did you, on those dark days ago, how did you connect back with that sense of purpose or that sense of you know the fire in your belly? How did you, how did you, sort of stimulate that again to, so you could start writing? Well, I think I got quite a lot of support from from friends, uh, whether they were Buddhists or not. So, friends, family. So, um, you know, I would say to any author, share your drafts with other people. And uh, so share that ongoing. So if you write part, share it, or do you just sort of write a draft and then share it and then? Well, I, I got a, I put I started a blog called um, which you may have come across called called thankingthespoon dot yes. com, which is kind of a quirk, quirk, quirky name. So, but it's a Buddhist metaphor for for thanking the incidents in life like losing a job or a relationship breakup or whatever, uh, because they stir up. Uh, uh, negative karma that you can then see and uh, and change. So I guess I mean that's oh. the beauty of the the inter- the internet now. It's amazing, isn't it? You can, you can put stuff out there. Uh, and again, it took me a few months to have the to find the courage to do that. I, I, I gave myself the excuse that I wasn't very technical, but of course WordPress is pretty much <laughs> idiot proof. So that excuse was taken away. Uh, and I started <laughs> say again. You I still still struggle with WordPress. <laughs> Okay, well, like we can we can have a chat about that after if you want. <laughs> but I, I I started putting bits of the book up online, and was just blown away by the reaction and the encouragement and the people thanking me for expressing stuff more clearly. Read it before, and these comments were coming from all over the world. So then I thought, okay, maybe maybe I've got a. I don't like using the word product, but I've, I've got something here on my hands that people do want to read and actually um and then the facebook page has a, i think i don't know five thousand likes now uh, and actually i to get a, a publisher like penguin random house when you're up to that point pretty unknown you know i wasn't i'm not tony robbins or, or paul mckenna yeah, yeah. um so a big publisher like that won't won't look at you unless you've uh, built what they call a, a platform or, or a tribe. I'm sure you know all this stuff yourself from from doing exactly that. Uh, but if you can say to them, "Look, uh, I've got 5,000 followers on Facebook, or my blog's had 200,000 hits," uh, then they'll start to sit up and take notice, even if you've never published a book before, which I hadn't. Mm. I'm, a, mm. I'm a I'm a first time author. Having yeah, said that, do you know what? Yeah, I'm glad that helps, and hopefully helpful to any other budding authors out there. But actually, do you know what? The the numbers um, aren't really the most powerful thing. It was more people writing to me and saying, "Do you know what? I read that blog post, and it 
and it saved my life or i read that blog post i i stopped practicing buddhism 10 years ago um i want to start again or i read that post and was and passed it on to a friend and was really able to encourage them because they're going through uh, depression or divorce or, or whatever it might be so it was those comments i guess it was those comments to answer your question <laughs> i think eventually getting around to answer your question how, you know how do you keep yourself going through those writer's blocks is where is when you get feedback like that you know bloody hell i wrote something that that saved a life maybe i'll maybe i will write the, maybe i will write the next chapter yeah right you know? yeah so certainly that's, I guess that, that support um yeah keeps, the community i guess keeps you keeps you going forward but a good bit of advice too for those guys that are thinking about writing a book if they don't have that mm. platform maybe to use that as a a way to share some ideas and create that thought because i think through my platform anyway it helps me generate a lot of thoughts more than i would have yeah. without it um, yeah sure for a number of different reasons but also as you said like if authors our publishers going to look at you it helps mm. to just have that back and while that's not the most important thing um, if you're looking at publishing a book, certainly, it, you know, anything that can help get skin in the game is, um, yeah. is going to be beneficial. So, good And not only that, you, you create this sort of uh, two-way dialogue. So, so I always, uh, what I was putting online on the blog was, was early drafts of different chapters. And then, uh, you know, you think you've cracked it or written something that really makes sense. And then people write back to you and say, actually, you haven't thought about that or you know, you've written this, that, and the other, but some people might get really upset by that. Have you thought of that? Oh, no, shit, I haven't. Mm. So they, they, it was kind of became, and this wasn't possible really before the internet to get real life yeah. feedback True. from. So I can, I can see, you know, sincerely say hand on heart that comments on my blog from readers, from people I've never met all over the world, definitely, definitely uh, impacted and, and changed and, and influenced the final draft. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, yeah, certainly love it. So, did you write every every night? Did you have a discipline to write? Sort of, you know. Obviously, if you had uh, down times, but other than that, did you have disciplines to write at certain times of the night, or was there any key rituals? No, it was much. It was. It was well. <laughs> Yeah, I guess right at, right at the end when the publishers are, are saying, right, we need this final draft by a certain date. But no, I guess it was much more organic and random than that. I think really, I, I wrote a lot of it on on planes uh, flying from one country to another or in hotel rooms you know so most of it was probably written on a laptop Uh, I wrote some of it at home yeah so that there'd be nights um, when and I think any writer will be familiar with this feeling when you when you're so in the zone uh, and so in flow that it's you know you get to three o'clock and you think blimey where did the last four hours go And and you've written two and a half thousand words or whatever and, and you hope that when you reread them the next day they'll they'll still make sense so no i wasn't uh, i wasn't um, yeah they're still as brilliant as you think they are at the time at the time so i, I wouldn't say um, that disciplined until okay. but in the final stages you have to because there's proofreading and there's checking mm. sources and you know quotations and so all that stuff then it becomes more of a Discipline. discipline. I, I like it's and it's made, like everyone's different in their process, I suppose. Mm, and exactly, um, that's that's why I asked you that question because there's a lot of people out there that might hear that you know writing in the morning and setting yourself a goal of a thousand words is is the way to go. Um, but it's just not, and uh, you know, so many no, different authors have their definitely. own way of, of being creative. Uh, everyone has their own. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm a, you're a coach. I'm a coach. We don't we don't give advice, do we? You know. So if I, if I was coaching an, uh, a budding author, I'd be looking for them to find the answers 
you know answers as unique as mm. as you yeah i guess if if i'm mentoring someone i mean the other the other tip i would maybe give going against what i just said about giving advice but i think you know to take away your own excuses for not writing there's always one of three things you can be doing okay so the three things are one you can be actually you know creating writing drafting putting stuff on the page if you're not feeling creative you can be planning other chapters you know doing bullet points thinking about the structure so that's number two and if you're not in the mood to either create or plan then the third thing you can you can do is review what you've written before so that was my little formula for for avoiding doing nothing it's like okay there's one of those three things you can always be there's doing always something so you can work on yeah no, I like it. get off your art yeah get off your ass and do it instead of watching tele yeah and i think you know you've got to find out what what works for you and um you know certainly you can give suggestions of they try it in the morning see how that works try it at night mm. um mm-hmm. you know try this try that but um just do what works for you i know another author i met another author another random house author for lunch the other day completely you know completely opposite so he's at his desk from nine o'clock till two o'clock no breaks no lunch no coffee breaks whatever he just writes two and a half thousand words or, or whatever and that's that you know that works for him but that it works no him. way would it yeah no way would it work for me i'm not uh, i'm too restless yeah that. i'd be more similar to his process than than yours I, would I, you yeah i sort of need to be in that clear zone where it's just uh, space and um that dedicated time Mm. well it's about being true to yourself isn't it so you know writing a book is about authenticity it's about being uh, true to you so the way you the way you write it also you have to be i think true to yourself rather than following someone else's formula yeah absolutely but if you um, want it bad you know if you want it badly enough you want anything badly enough you'll find a way won't you yeah and if you love the process um yeah Yeah. you'll, you'll just do it so what just uh, what was I going to ask? Uh, oh yeah, those <laughs> the thoughts that come to your head when you're writing. This is going to happen mm-hmm. to I reckon. I must happen to anyone that writes, even successful writers. I reckon must have this when they're writing new books. Is that you know how good is this or how worthy of this is to the audience? You know, is this going to be valuable? Am I just writing rubbish? You know, all these thoughts that might come to your mind. I don't know if everyone has them or not, but I'm sure they do. How do you overcome that and say, look, I'm, I'm you know, because often what we write is, is based on our own thoughts and opinions and mindsets and stuff like that. How do we, you know, because I think it's the fear of if, if I write all this, it's just going to be rubbish and no one's going to enjoy it. Does Did that come about with you? And if so, what what did you do to control those um, those limiting beliefs? Okay, so I'm just making a note of what you said there. Um, a bit of a tricky question. No, no, it's it's, it's a good, a good, another good question, really. Uh, well, I mentioned Richard Jack- Jackson earlier, uh, and, and you've asked me about you know feeling. I think you said worthy of success, or you know feeling it was worthwhile. Um, and one of the models he he taught me, or, or one of the phrases he taught me, is is you cannot outperform your self esteem, which I think is a ama- you know amazingly simple, powerful quote, and he illustrates it by you know drawing two arrows on a page one's higher than the other so the very high one is your huge ambitious goal to get a, a book published and then um to the right of that uh, vertically another arrow that doesn't go as high uh, and that's your self-esteem so if your self-esteem isn't high enough you, you'll bring down your 
performance in life to what you feel you deserve. Okay, right. so um, so, but of course you can raise you can raise your self esteem, uh, and that uh, how do I how do I raise my self esteem by by chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, which is the the, the Buddhist uh, mantra in Nichiren in Buddhism, because it is absolutely um, an affirmation, if you like, you know, a mantra is an affirmation uh, that helps you revere your own life uh, that helps you see your own potential and also revere the lives of other people as well so when i was uh, having a bit of a doubt I, I would chant more um second part of my answer to that question would be what i said earlier getting feedback from other people right good and uh, that was a funny experience in itself actually Le- learned a lot about that because I, I, there were people i sent drafts to who i thought would definitely be interested. They might, they probably may, may have been, you know, Buddhists for a long time or uh, avid readers. Uh, and very often they showed no interest at all and they didn't reply. And, uh, you know, two or three months later I'd, I'd heard nothing. And I would, and I would chant about this and get frustrated and have all these shoulds in my head, like, Oh, you should be getting back to me and all that. Uh, but I learned a big lesson from that because then, then, you know, almost random people, delegates from uh, on the course I, I was running, or, or neighbours I didn't know very well, would would read um, read some chapters of it, and, th- and they'd send me like a, a ten page appraisal, and I was kind of blown away with gratitude. And then I, su- I suddenly realised, you know, you, you can't control how who will or will not mm, like a book. Yeah, a, yeah. So you put it out there, and you don't know where the feedback's going to come back from. But it does come back. It always, it you know, it comes back. Comes back from the universe, but not always from the place you expect it. So, uh, a great friend of mine called Duncan Powell, who's another Buddhist, uh, he's an actor over here in the in the UK. He he's talks about you no know, chance, take action, and then let go of the results. So, not having this script for how you think other people should should like or not like your book, and, and of course, when it's published as well, in a, in a way, it's best just to let go of it and see what people think of it and, and see what the reviews are on Amazon and they're beyond my wildest dreams because I've got I think 30 reviews on Amazon every single one is is a five star review so I'm pretty chuffed with that and I'm, I'm glad I I'm glad I really glad I kept going through you know those those doubts and yeah, yeah a lot of that's down to the encouragement from other people so good points um, on the self-esteem and certainly that, that feedback and encouragement. I like the idea of, you know, putting it out there and to a variety of audiences as well, not just picking, you know, your family or friends or something like that, but um, really anyone that you come in contact with, hey, here's a book that I've written if you've got time, have a read, um, because your yeah. feedback's going to be um, different and that's important. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool advice. Look, we could talk about writing, I'm sure, for the rest of this interview, but I want to go into <laughs> your book. Um, and particularly okay. touch on the chant Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, which I have written on my wall here, um, and you, which you pronounced extremely well, by the way. I know in your in the podcast I listened to yesterday, you weren't sure if you were pronouncing <laughs> yeah. it right, but you got it. You, maybe it's because you're in Japan. Well, I speak <laughs> Japanese, it, so I guess I got the. Uh, okay, well that would help. You you got it. You got it spot on. So yeah, and it's on your it's on your wall. Cool. There's a win. Um, so yeah, but look, I, yeah. let's let's talk about the book first. So who? Who is yeah. your book for? Like, is it? Uh, I mean, you said it's for all spiritual backgrounds, etc. But in your words, who is it for? Well, that was quite a big question, actually, because when I was writing, I was thinking, you know, is is this for people who are 
already Buddhists? Is it for psychologists, counselors, and coaches? Is it for people who want to be happier but don't know where to start? Is it for people who want to make a difference in the world and, and don't know where to start? And in the end, it ended up being, you know, all of those audiences really. And I think um, where I like to think it's different from other personal development books and by, and by the way to come back to your previous question about how do you keep going uh, and knowing that what you're writing is is good you, i think you kind of do need an angle you need something original you need something that that says to the book uh, market this book hasn't been written before and when you get to you know pitching to a publisher they exactly want to know that you know how is this different from other buddhist books and how is it different mm. from other personal development books which is, is and I quite guess hard the, to do i guess that that's a that's a challenge in itself isn't it because especially in self well any in any field really yeah i mean there's so yeah, much out there there's it's a, I don't know, yeah, a couple hundred it's a pretty, thousand uh, books in in the self-help category <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty crowded market. So, uh, and I think the angle I was really coming from is that, in my experience anyway, most most of the self-help books are quite self-centered, right? So they're kind of about me, 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 which is great. And, and you know, uh, in a way it's great and it's kind of uh, maybe, you know, better than what I was brought up with. I was brought up in a very strict christian background where I, much as i loved part you know some parts of the catholic church i didn't ever feel you could really be an individual so i think um you know uh, as people believe less in god and people talk about the the god-shaped hole what what filled that hole well the pendulum swung the other way and what filled that hole i think was this increasing uh interest in in personal development and i but i do sort of think the pendulum might have swung too far the other way and we've created this uh, I call it the entitled generation of young people especially who think they deserve you know, everything now straight away and everything's at the swipe of a screen on your iPad and uh, I prefer, you know I think um, there's a little bit too much entitlement in, in an age screaming out for more it's, um, enlightenment I think if you could, yeah. if you could cross pollinate the um, millennials to Maybe yeah. my parents' generation, we'd have an ideal species. <laughs> like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't quite know how we do that, but that sounds like it. That sounds like it. That sounds like a plan. So I wanted to get what I wanted to go over in, in in my in my book was that true happiness involves, or, or absolutely core to your own happiness is chanting for the happiness of other people. And and uh, you know, in Buddhism, we believe it's really about transforming the, the spirit of the age so I, I like to say that you know nam myoho renge kyo is, is a we prayer not just a me prayer okay and I, I think uh, <clears throat> maybe that's where it's different from other personal development books that it really is about changing the spirit of the age because if we carry on if we carry on in this incredibly individualistic mindset that, that dominates now we are just going to destroy the planet you know somewhere in my book I say when when the ego succeeds uh, humanity fails so quite a lot of the book is about overcoming this small ego that we've evolved since our caveman days to to protect us but that results in uh, you know greed anger stupidity hmm. and so on so and i guess the other thing the other thing is i wanted to go a bit a bit deeper so not many personal development books talk about 
karma <laughs> for obvious reasons it's a really tricky subject to talk about and that was the chapter i was most worried about and, and had read by uh, most you know other buddhists to, to make sure i hadn't um screwed up the explanation yeah so it goes, it's gotta be a hard guess, one but you did it well i really enjoyed it actually there's your book and that other that, one i read recently but um yeah it's a knotty subject so i guess my book i wanted to go deeper into karma and past lives and i wanted to go wider in into society and that's where i hope it's different from some of the other personal development stuff yeah mate um guys you've got to go out there pick it up i'll stick the link in the show notes in this show as well um which is episode 219 so you'll be able to type that in or just type in david Hare and um get a copy it's it's really worth a read uh certainly if you if you love my shows generally and my thoughts um you'll love this one as well so pick it up i want to talk about the chanting in particular david um but first, you touched on an interesting point there about independency and, and that. Do you think, yeah. just uh, your thoughts, because I, I sort of feel there's a, a bit of a movement back towards uh-huh. independency, but what, it, what do you feel is, is happening at the moment? Because there is this shift now, and it's, it's, mm. I think it's more and more noticeable. I don't know if that's just because I'm looking for it or not, but um, there is a shift there. What, what are your feelings about where we're going from here as far as independency, dependency, um, this cultural shift, you know? Yeah, great question again, and I really hope you're right. I hope there is a shift uh, happening back towards a kind of collective view of society, and it might it might be that you know very very self-centered personal development has has run its course, and people are I'd like to think people are now realizing that we're all in this together. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a great. Um, can I can I quote uh, one of my mentors here? Yeah. Um, so this is Daisuke Ikeda, who's the uh, leader of Saka Gakkai International SGI, the Buddhist movement I belong to. This is probably my I've got, I think I've got 25 of his quotes in the book, but this is probably my favourite. Uh, and he says, um, "Your home is where your loved ones live. Your home is the place where you work together with your fellow human beings." to build the paradise, a realm of peace and prosperity for all. And then he goes on, when we are asked where our home is, we can answer, my home is the world. Everywhere in the world where my fellow human beings live, all of it is my home. Hmm. And I love that because I think um, we all have a, in a materialistic society, I think we have a a tendency to you know tick the boxes you can get get the house get the family get the car get the kids get the job and then we ring fence our happiness kind of build a wall around it and think right i've got that now that little pass uh, of contentment i'm so i feel safe i feel safe now and we forget about um other people so i think that I, i'd like to think uh, the world the consciousness of the planet i'd like to think it is it is shifting more more towards um you know really seeing the dignity in every person in every life without judging all the time and 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 criticizing yeah and just and just knowing that we you know we we need each other for for support you know we can't all be stuck to our ipads and iphones and facebook all the time we we need to uh, reach out and encourage each other because life, you know, life life is difficult. Mm. Life can be difficult, and it's a lot harder if you try and do it all on your own. 
so who knows? We'll, we'll, I think we'll have to wait. We'll wait and see. But I mean, people, you know, people like yourself are, are part of that, part of that change, part of that shift in consciousness, part of that. I guess you said, you know, I asked you earlier who who your audience were, and I think you said it's people who are, you know, looking for for that for that something more. Maybe you know, maybe they've uh, exhausted the kind of chase for material success, and uh, I think it's going to be. I think you're right. I think there's a rise in in spiritual intelligence. You know, in my book, I talk about different types of intelligence. So, IQ, which is what we kind of used to be heavily obsessed with, you know, maths and English and, and science and all that. And then and people realise that IQ is not enough because it doesn't teach you how to be resilient or how to build relationships or how to listen or how to be compassionate. Uh, so then we had the development of, of EQ, emotional intelligence, personal mm-hmm. development, and that became about your own success and achieving goals and building your self-confidence and all that. And then I think the next natural phase of development, so we've had IQ, we've had EQ, it is, is SQ, you know, spiritual intelligence, which includes um, a deep concern for the welfare of the of the planet. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think, but I think these these are evolutions of consciousness, and you have to go through uh, each step to get to you know you can't suddenly go from IQ to SQ and miss out EQ. EQ's been amazing, you know, yeah, just yeah. all those all those authors I mentioned earlier, they've played a you know i think a huge part in in uh, changing the spirit of the age mm, absolutely yeah i love some of the authors you mentioned amazing what um yeah i mean I, I just think i think we're in a transition now i think like any transition that the the world evolves through there's there's severe learnings and consequences from those learnings and um, yeah perhaps you know some some major occurrences in the world but at the yes. other end there'll be some some brighter light I, I heard a podcast, uh, not a podcast, a TED talk the other day by a lady. Mm. I can't think of her name right now, but she was talking about, you know, the American dream and uh, you know mm. the picket fence, the car, the family, the yes. this and that. Did you hear that one? Yeah. She, um, it's just awesome. No. Yeah. She talked about this is the one thing that stood out. But she said, you know, when you ask kids what do you want to be when you grow older, it's actually going to be asking kids how do you want to be when you grow older. Um, mm. Which I thought was really cool. What a great, what a great question. How, how, I'm going to write that down. How do you want to be? Yeah, yeah, and that's how I said so, to my daughter last night. I said, "So I said, it's not what you want to be, Aria. It's how do you want to be." And um, she's only four. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, never, never too early to yeah uh, edu- educate a seeking young four-year-old mind. The, uh, I think our kids know stuff more than we oh, do. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, pretty so. brilliant. Um, always yeah. surprising me. So yeah, just it was really refreshing, and um, certainly the way we're being more dependent on one another as well. And then she was talking about you know families and friends moving in together like little communities you know um, mm. still respecting each other's privacies and independency but at a large mm. part having that dependency and, and um, noticing the greater benefits that come from it rather than actually living alone because we always think you know owning our own house and living independently is, is the best thing ever it's success isn't it there's yeah, a lot of def- there's a lot of things that you know come with living in communities and you can see it like if you go to a, you know, Asian countries or um, you know p- parts in the east you can see them. They live together, and they they're very happy, even yeah. though they don't seem to have what we consider yeah. necessary. Um, anyway, yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of miserable millionaires around, and I've met met a few of them along the way. But that uh, the picket fence reminds me of another great book I read recently by a guy called Steve Taylor, called The Fall, 
and it's got a big picture of an, a juicy apple on the front cover, so it kind of it stands out. But he he uh, he goes right back in history to the early human beings, and he and I, you know his theory is open to dispute, and the people who disagree with him, but it really resonated with me. And he said that in the you know, I, I, don't know, I guess it's thirty thousand, forty thousand years ago. Humans were nomadic, wandering tribes across the planet, and there wasn't conflict, and there wasn't war, and people got along pretty well until uh, agriculture happened. So until people started building fences and saying, "This is my bit of land," and I found that fascinating because that's the path we've been on ever since. You know, we've yeah. we've got the, the you know, so the whole notion of nationality wouldn't have existed then uh, but if you look at Europe now and, and Syria and the refugees in Calais and, and trying to get into the UK and the complete effing mess we've made of it all uh, you can look you know you can say you could trace it back to Steve Taylor and think yeah that started yeah. it started when people said you know this is my bit of land this is my nationality this is my identity and we and we need to get back to this feeling of Oneness, oneness. Mm. yeah, and and I, you know, I some, I occasionally have disagreements with with racists because because uh, I'm not I'm not white. I'm kind of dark, and I've got Indian Indian blood. And uh, if someone's you know talking about immigration, I'll say, I'll just look at them and say, look, we're all bloody immigrants, right? You go back far enough, you might think you're pure English. You go back far enough, then you'll find you're a mixture of you know French and Viking and Scandinavian and roman and and goodness knows what else there's no such thing as a as a pure race we you know we are one and that that oneness is uh, is what got lost in the age of entitlement mm, yeah and as we uh are more connected and can travel more easily there's more and more people yeah um, you know making that that gap smaller so Look, powerful stuff man we could we could chat easily for another hour i reckon but let's um I want to ask you these few questions. You got a bit more time, David? I know we're going to go a bit over. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm wide awake than when we started. So nice. it's, uh, it's six minutes to one, but you can have as long as you want and right. as long as you feel your audience want to listen. So I ahead. just want to, um, I want to talk about chanting, particularly Nam mm-hmm. or Renge um, yeah. and just ask you a few questions around that and then jump into the questions I ask all guests. So let's just do that. So sure. with, with chanting, um, because I, I've, Try it. Uh, you know, you say don't use try, but I have tried. I'm using Nam Myoho Renge. You can, you can, yeah. Um, and I, I guess my challenge is is really understanding why I'm saying it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, from reading your book, I picked up on on the gist of it. But then when I'm saying it in in my, because I sort of do it after my meditation or during my meditation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just wondering why. I guess that connection with why I'm doing it and and the benefits obviously that can come from it um, are, are quite unknown. Um, you know, I can read the words and your benefits that you describe there, but um, if you don't recognise them within, then and then how do you continue on that path? So perhaps you can just sort of maybe explain to the audience what Nam Yoho Renge Kyo means and then how we can best incorporate it into a practice that might benefit us. Okay, so I've just made a note. There's a few questions there, and I'll I'll pick off each one as well as I can. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's good. Uh, so Namyoho Renge Kyo. Well, it's uh, it's a mantra. It's an affirmation. It's the, it's a tool actually, Lee. Most of all, it's a it's a tool. So it's and ultimately, bluntly, why do I do it? 
because it works. Okay, I don't, and if it, I've always said, I say somewhere in my book, if I found anything more powerful, because I'm quite seeking, I'm also quite sceptical, I look into other philosophies. If, if I found something more powerful, more inclusive, more complete, more profound, I would do it. Uh, and I haven't yet, but I, you know, I've, I've always, I've always got that open mind. So ultimately. Uh, I would say, you know, how do you know? You said you said it's un, you know the benefits are unknown. Well, that, yeah, that was absolutely the case for anyone who starts chanting. So most people will will give it a go because they're looking for something more. It's the same with meditation. Yeah, exactly. Probably because they trust the person that uh, has talked to them about it. In practice, probably very few people will pick up a book like mine and think, "Oh, I'll give this chanting a whirl." I think I think it normally comes through that personal connection of warmth and trust, like it did with with me uh, in in Paris back in 1983. Uh, and I was incredibly skeptical. You know, I, I was a Catholic at the time, anyway, albeit not so sure about about that faith at the time but i was still a catholic uh i didn't like the sound of the chanting particularly if i'm honest uh i used to have arguments with all the buddhists who came round to the flat and asked them awkward questions um and i used to think i was right and blah 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 <laughs> and then in the end um you know i hit, hit a situation in my life i was living in paris and uh had run out of money and was uh, in a kind of tempestuous relationship and the lady who um whose house it was who had this weird buddhist altar in her flat said look give it a go and she actually actually said to me i can i can spend all day explaining what a a strawberry tastes like not not knowing that i didn't like strawberries but anyway um so i could i could spend all day explaining it but unless you bite it and try it yourself you'll never know so i thought uh, okay I'll give it a go. So all, all I'd say to anyone, including yourself, is is uh, give it a proper go. You know, give it uh, maybe 20 minutes a day for 100 days. Ideally, with with other Buddhists, I think it's a lot more a lot more powerful uh, that kind of kinship and encouragement, and see if it makes a difference to your life. And and actually, when I first did it in 1983, I didn't feel it did make a huge difference. I just thought it was part of uh, being in Paris being 19 years old trying out stuff I hadn't been allowed to try out in my loving but sheltered childhood and I kind of boxed it off and I went to live in Scotland didn't think about it for two years you know and then and then I went back to Paris I met all these Buddhists again and I thought hmm something's changed you know you've all you've all moved on in your lives you've got a spark you're happier you're more hopeful Uh, you've had a breakthrough you've become an artist or you've in a better relationship or whatever it might be and i thought yeah they and i've moved backwards and i thought hmm maybe this works after all and actually what you know nichiren's teaching is all about actual proof so uh you know ch- chant that mantra because uh you trust the person who's who's shared it with you and see what difference it makes and i think everyone reacts in in different ways you know some people have there's an immediate impacts you know they might you can chant for, you know you can chant for the realities of daily life you can chant for a, a better job or a better place to live or, uh, or a happier relationship you can chant for all these real life things and then take action you know you don't just uh, yeah, yeah. sit there yeah. chant and, <laughs> and then and then you know in a very mystical way 
you, you, the gears of your life start to engage with the the cogs of the universe and different inexplicable things start happening that's when it gets a, a little bit mystic um i think you asked me what the mantra means mm. which is a, a question i was also obsessed obsessed with back in 1983 probably because i was a language student i was like what does it mean what does it mean what is it? you know it's a very layered mantra and i haven't really got time to explain every syllable but i would Just i would in, compare yeah, in the simplest yeah the, like the, the gist of it yeah. yeah so in my book i call it the i call namyoho renge kyo the, the voice of your buddhahood the rhythm of life and the vibration of the universe at its most joyful uh, and i describe it as a mantra that turns up the volume on the good stuff in your mind and I'd kind of couch it in personal development terms as well. So I say Nam Yoha Renge Kyo is your most resourceful state, your highest self-esteem and your ultimate life purpose all rolled into one mantra, one simple mantra. And actually, you know, Nichiren Daishon in the 13th century, 13th century Japanese monk whose teachings we follow, he, he, he really wanted to distill the complexities and esoteric complicated nature of buddhism down into one simple mantra that the the common if you like could could use and, and he was very radical he was a revolutionary he said that the you know he came along and said working class people can attain enlightenment in this lifetime which is pretty big deal in 13th century feudal militaristic macho mm. japan he said that um women could attain enlightenment which again was heresy in that day and age so he's really wanted it to be accessible to everyone not just to some elite priesthood and that's what that's what i love he was you know this guy was a he was a rebel and he loved humanity and he wanted people to be happy and that's why the government you know exiled him twice to very bleak uh islands uh why they tried to be behead him uh, and constantly persecuted because because you know he came along and offered this uh simple powerful tool that you didn't you know, you didn't need a degree in Buddhism to to be able to to use it, mm. uh, and that's I think that's I think he was you know well ahead of his time. This 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 Buddhism is what 750 years old, but it's an incredibly powerful personal development tool. Yeah. And I guess that's the other the other reason I wrote the book is I, I thought you know a lot of the self help books I've I've read that you know the, the teachings are actually. 750 years old or 3,000 years old if you go back to Siddhartha Gautama in India but but uh, you know they haven't been expressed in Buddhist Buddhist self-help haven't been expressed in a very simple accessible way so uh, I hope that answers your question about about chanting have you got any more questions about, about no no the, I, I, the I, I just um, I just sort of had a reflection on your thought you know yeah. a lot of the, okay. the ways we live life um, or the, the practices or how we live life um, to the most fullest, I think, are, are timeless sort of things that we've learnt eons ago, um, but they've just become lost in the clutter of, of life. Um, mm -hmm. And I look at that simply. I set a goal um, four weeks ago. I've done now five weeks. Oh, your challenge you put online, yeah? My challenge, yeah, that's the one. And yeah. um, I was just reflecting. I had a bit of a challenge on the weekend. I got an invite out to have some drinks with a colleague, and, geez, it was tempting. Uh -huh. Uh, but my, part of my challenge is not to drink for this three months. And, uh -huh. uh, yeah, so I had that little hurdle on the weekend, but I was just talking about it. And it's because I, I forgot, again, the connection with why I'm actually doing this challenge. 
Um, yeah. So you lose those practices, and, and that's just life in general. Like some of these things that were done hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, are still beneficial yeah. now, but we've just forgotten how um, how much yeah. impact they can have because of of the life and we've created, how society's formed and come about. Yes. Um, so interesting, anyway. But that's just a side thought. I thought I'd share. What? Um, so when you're chanting, just as as far as the practice goes, because I want to sort of give this a go myself. You say. Mm. You know, do it for what twenty minutes? Did you say every day for hundred days or something like that? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, some people might might do more. I think, I mean, I do probably an hour in the morning and, and thirty minutes in the evening. It's, a, it's actually uh, I, I chant until I feel different, until I feel I've had a, a breakthrough, until I feel the clouds lifting from my mind, till I feel I'm in the zone, in flow, in harmony and that you know that right. could happen after t- after 10 minutes with me it tends to happen after a little bit longer like more like 30, so you just constantly chant then in that in that period yeah okay how do you yeah. how do you chant do you just continually repeat nam your ho renge kyo nam your ho renge kyo yeah i mean what sort of pace do you do with that do you do it that quick or do you do it slower uh, I, I guess when you're starting out you'd start quite slowly so Nam yo denge kyo, nam yo denge kyo. That sort okay. of pace, and then uh, top speed. Do you, do you want a top speed version? Give us top speed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. It's not a race, by the way. There's no prizes for going for going faster. But uh, top uh, faster speed would be nam yo denge kyo, nam yo denge kyo, nam yo denge kyo, nam yo denge kyo, like that. Yeah, nice. Are there benefits between either? Do I don't think so. No. Okay. I don't. I mean, I think. Yeah, it could be that. Actually, I might, I might uh, do an experiment on that. No, I think. Um, well, if, if you're chanting in a room with twenty other people, it's kind of helpful if you're all chanting at the same pace, yeah. speed, because it's going to be distracting if someone's going really fast and someone's going really slow. But actually, no. It's about being who you. If you're chanting on your own, it's about being who you are and true to yourself. And I think listening to your voice and feeling that vibration in your whole body. I mean, if I if I've had I don't know if I've been driving on the motorway for four or five hours and had too many coffees and then I I can get home feeling really hyper and speedy. I'd probably would chant more slowly as a sort of calming thing uh by contrast if i'm waking up in the morning and feeling a bit uh groggy or maybe you know i'm, I'm not on a three-month alcohol-free challenge by the way so maybe i've had uh, one one glass of wine too many the night before or whatever then i might do a, i might probably chant a little bit faster to yeah. energize myself but there's no okay. i mean there's no rule there's no rules in this buddhism and there's no rules in the practice either there's there's guidelines but there's that's the other thing i love about about buddhism there's no rules it's it's uh, there's the law of cause and effect so everything that you do comes back to you but it's a teaching of of absolute freedom and, and also absolute doing what works. Respons- responsibility huh? doing what works for you individually i think yeah exactly exactly and that's, that's like excellent. i said to you earlier yes yeah, to try it give it a whirl ideally with other people and then see what difference it makes and it might be you know it might be that it's uh, not that it's not the right it's not the right teaching for everyone i don't think or sometimes it's a case of yeah this is the right practice but it's not the right time so maybe it's that you plant the seed and it might blossom in in two years in 20 years or in your next lifetime you know just that's what i say to anyone is just is give it a whirl and see what happens to you
Well, we're all about keeping an open mind here and at the Hidden Y mm. and, and giving things a go. So I certainly would like to, to put it in my practice and um, I don't know if I'll commit mm. to 20 minutes a day, but I'll, I'll commit to five <laughs> um, and see how that goes. I actually okay. went to, 10 years ago, I started going to the temple here near where I live uh-huh. in Japan and um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, once a month and we used to chant. I actually mentioned this line, this this mantra chant to my students the other week and they recognised it straight away. They, they were pretty shocked actually, so thank you for that. <laughs> and, by, um, your, by your knowledge by yeah your they said oh okay uh, oh, he, he knows this and um, and then they sort of gave me a couple of variations that one of the ladies there does for you know a couple of minutes every morning she does it um, yeah so it was interesting but uh, yeah cool stuff look really love it I'd suggest to the audience just guys go out there and pick up the book have a bit more of a read to it um, you know I like the idea of chanting myself because I, I practice meditation I really, really, really struggle still, and I've practiced meditation for a while now. I'm using Headspace now, so I'm trying different things. Still struggle to can't, like focus my mind and bring that attention within. Um, and I think the chant will help me do that because when you're chanting, it's really going to be hard yeah. to, to think about anything else anyway. Um, so that's why I like it. <laughs> Certainly, I think when, I'm when, you're out, yeah. Yeah. when you're starting out, yeah, when you're starting out, it's hard to think of anything else. Yeah. Okay, that's so <laughs> that's going to be interesting. So I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to the trial. Um, mate, I want to wrap this up and ask you some few sure. questions on the way out. Um, we've talked about, I guess, a ritual or routine for you is is the chanting practice. Is mm. there anything else you do daily that, that you might want to suggest for the audience as part of you know, something they might want to experiment with? In terms of Buddhist practice? No, or just anything, I mean, like, anything you anything at contributes all. to your okay. success. Uh, I'm quite a big fan of, of Qigong, so, which is a bit like Tai Chi, so it's... Uh, oh, yeah. It's more like a meditation. It's not. It's not part of Buddhist practice. It's a, a very old, I guess, Chinese way of moving and breathing. Um, so I, I do that. Uh, I've done meditation, by the way. I've tried Zen meditation. It was quite a uh, calming experience. So um, I know. I think there's a place for all these practices. Actually, what you were saying earlier, but it's interesting about things getting lost in time. I think the other big you know kind of philosophical question is is you know the the the, the powerful teachings emerge or re-emerge when the world is ready when people are, are ready for them so although i think um this particular flavor of buddhism is is the best i would qualify by that by saying i think it's the the best for the age we live in you know it's the right teaching in my opinion for the time but you can only find that out by by trying um in terms of uh, other daily practice I, I just do my mo- my morning and evening chanting and, and qigong now and again so yeah. okay. uh, and re- I guess stu- studying studying is important or you know if you, if you practice within a within a Buddhist uh, group so I practice within within a SGI Sokogakkai International so part of that would involve going to uh, meetings with other Buddhists where we share experiences and encourage each other and study Nichiren's writing. And all this would happen in, in people's homes rather than in temples because it's a, a lay movement and people ask questions and challenge each other. And, you know, it's, it's a kind of self-development group, if you like, but also with this outlook on the world. So I think that makes that all makes the chanting more powerful. Mm. So, yeah, that would, that would be another part of my certainly weekly practice to go to maybe one or two meetings a week yeah okay and what advice would you give your 20 year old self (laughs) i saw that question earlier uh 
question. Do you know what? I didn't think of an answer to it. I think be be, be true to yourself and um, and be be brave. Be brave. Go for it. Okay. And don't over you know just don't overthink everything. What's your meaning of success? Definition of success. Yep. I think it's uh, going to bed at the end of every day, knowing that you've made a difference to other people's lives, touched their hearts in some ways, uh, made them feel that their life is precious. If everyone knew their lives were were precious, then the the world would be a much better place. Yeah, very true. And have you got a piece of proactivity advice, something that could help people be more effective in their in their life? So productivity, as in do stuff yeah, productivity faster, tip or something like that. Yeah, just a way to be effective. Uh-huh. <laughs> you could you could chant because I think that makes you more productive. Um, I think I think if you're following your mission and your heart and your purpose you will you'll naturally be productive I mean we were talking about this earlier with the book but one uh, there is a famous personal development saying somewhere I can't think who wrote it first but um, if the why is strong enough you'll always find the how I guess you're familiar with that one yeah Mm. So if you've got if you've got a strong enough why you'll 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 make you'll make to, do you know what I think it comes back to you know productivity what does it come back to knowing that every every moment is is precious that your life is precious and again Richard Jackson uh, taught me who I mentioned in my book that or he he did the maths and he worked out that we only get uh, twenty eight thousand days in the average lifetime of seventy six years so uh, on that calculation i've got about nine thousand left so i want to make the most of of each one so yeah my tip would be work out your birth date and year work out how many years you've had work out how many days you've got left uh and then make you know make sure you make the most of everyone that makes you pretty productive and you could read a book by bronnie ware who i'm sure you know there in australia mm. called called the top five regrets of the dying yep uh and uh uh, you know I can't reel them all off now but I know a couple of them say you know um, I wish I hadn't worked so hard and I wish I'd spent more time with my friends mm. so it's about you know priorities isn't it knowing what's knowing what's really important yeah well, her um, the top regret of the dying is part of my inspiration for the show which is um, uh-huh. I wish I had more encouraged to live a life true to myself yeah um, absolutely which is my biggest fear of, you know, living a life that um, wasn't true to myself. So, mm. uh, very cool. We, we've all we've all done it. We've all followed other people's scripts or compared ourselves too much to other people. Mm. But as Oscar Wilde uh, famously said, "Be yourself. Everyone else is already taken." Yeah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> which I, I love that quote. So, very cool. I guess. Do you know what? Every time I co- ultimately every person I coach, whatever problem they present with whatever issue whether it's it could be time management it could be becoming an author it could be finding a relationship whatever problem they present with every single one ultimately is looking for that that authenticity looking for their their true north yeah uh for for what they were you know born to do and somewhere along the line they've got 
taken on a different track uh, by society or conditioning or yeah. parents or religion or politics or whatever it might be yeah. so come come back to yourself that'll make you more productive yeah i like it okay uh have you got a favorite food david chocolate <laughs> yeah um, that was an easy one favorite leisure activity tennis when i haven't got a, a wrist injury which i have at the moment but yeah tennis is i love i love the the, the fun of it uh, and the laugh you have with other players so i'm not i'm not uh, especially talented but yeah it's a great laugh and, yeah. and um acting i used to do a bit of acting i need to get back into that oh nice um, yeah i like that <laughs> these side <laughs> passions that we can we can have and you know the importance yeah. of connecting with those and getting into them i think it's it's really important um yeah. what is you've mentioned a couple of books so I'll put them in the show notes for you guys listening. So there'll be links to Amazon or, or Audible if you want to pick up the copy. But what is your favourite book of all time, David, or one that you've currently reading or one that you just want to mention? Just one book for the audience. Wow, there's so many. And it would be it would be some of the ones I've mentioned earlier. Um, do you know the, the first one that always pops into my head when people ask that question would be would be The Alchemist by uh, Paolo uh, just felt I just loved the, the the poetry of it, but also the philosophy of it and the spirituality of it. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, he'd, he'd he'd be right up there. I'll stick that in the show notes, um, guys. Pick up a copy of that at thehiddenwide dot com. Sorry, David, you got you got another one or? Uh, no, I think that's enough, that's enough for now. Okay. Um, have you got a favourite quote, David? You mentioned a fair few of those too in the episode, so I'll try and wrap them all up as well. But what? Um, a favourite quote that comes to mind. A favourite quote, yeah. I've got one about um, limiting beliefs and the limitations we put on ourselves. I'm just trying to find it. I know I put it somewhere in my book. Can you just bear with me while I have yeah. a, a quick flick? Yeah. So, um, again, this is Daisaku Ikeda. So he says, uh, we are unlimited beings. Our struggle to surmount our obstacles and sufferings and fulfil our dreams is always finally struggle to overcome the limitations we have accepted within our own hearts mm. so that, that one always makes me stop and think uh, and uh, be strict with myself as well yeah. so no, very yeah nice. that 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 would that would be up there um, okay yeah have, what is your oh sorry i talk about passion and purpose often what uh what does living life with passion and purpose mean to you I think it probably comes back to a lot of the things we've already said. Yeah. So, uh, you know, knowing that life is precious, knowing that it's relatively short. Um, just get, you know, if, if I, for example, if I if I'd got to my deathbed and, and hadn't written this book, if I'd allowed that dream to wither inside me, I think I would. I would deeply regret it. I think I'd be beating my myself up. So um, I think I think it's about. It sounds corny, doesn't it? But asking yourself, what, you know, what what was I put on this planet to do? What what's my mission? What unique difference uh, mm. can I can I make yeah. to to other people and and, and, and to myself and. You know, and, and all the any sufferings you've got from childhood or 
uh, past lives, I guess, in, in Buddhism. How can I use that as as rocket fuel for my own personal transformation and, and to, to, to change the spirit of the age we live in? Mm. So... And and uh, I guess that's why I chant because if I didn't if I didn't, then I'd lose sight of that stuff and I'd just get preoccupied with the the surface and superficial flotsam and jetsam of life. Yeah. So. Not cool. Love it. And I think you know, sometimes I say to my clients, I said earlier I could be quite strict with my with people I coach. So and every session I do, there's a summary that follows afterwards normally about 800 words and normally that summary will include homework so so stuff they've committed to do before the next session and if they haven't done it for whatever reason i, I might sometimes say look how, how badly do you how badly do you want this because if you don't want it badly enough you can have as much coaching as you want but you won't get anywhere mm. and i think we all we all need to ask ourselves that sometimes how badly do i want it how much action have i actually taken do I feel I deserve it? You know, am I getting the support I need from other people? All of that stuff. Yeah, and then, you can uh, ask yourself that question, and if you answer it honestly, and it's you really don't mm, want it that bad, then go out and do something yeah. else. You know, <laughs> exactly. And that's that's also you know that's also a good answer. But we we know we know when we're selling ourselves short. I think we might be able to fool other people, but you can't you can't fool yourself. For very no, you know within, and you'll you'll be able to cover it up for years. Um, but you know, eventually it'll, yeah. it'll win. Yeah. Um, if, yeah, you, if exactly, you keep asking yeah. those questions, what do you think? We all have a a why, a purpose. Wow, what a great question. Yeah, uh, and I guess again, when people chant or when I coach people, that why or purpose gradually unfolds like a, a beautiful and unique flower so uh, hmm. I guess you know we just got these layers of of crust on the diamond or, or whatever you want to call it where we can't we can't always see what our unique contribution is but that that's why I think coaching and chanting and personal development are so powerful because those things uh, gradually uh, reveal themselves yeah um, I guess you know ultimately uh, it's believing in, in Buddhism it's believing that you are a Buddha and that everyone else is a, a Buddha and that's a, a why worth worth fighting for mm. yeah you know Hey, look, uh, David, I appreciate um, we've gone well over time, so I'm just so grateful <laughs> that we've connected. I'm so thankful for being able to read your book too. I think it was really a winner for me. It's one that Thank I really you. enjoyed. Thank you so out, much. And I mean that sincerely. Um, That's great so, to hear. You know, I appreciate great, great it. Connect, Thank you. And um, hopefully the audience are inspired by our chat to pick up your book, but also, you know, inspired to really connect more with, with what the life they want to live, um, which I think we've done, we've done pretty well. So. <laughs> Uh, David, how can they reach out to you? Obviously, they can get a copy of your book and go to your website, uh, Thanking the Spoon, uh-huh. which is thankingthespoon.com. Yeah, okay. Uh, Twitter's pretty good. So uh, I'm on Twitter. So at, uh, yeah, at David Hare Coach. Yeah. Or you, or you can uh, email me, David at davidhare.com. Yeah. And Hare is like uh, rabbit, H-A-R-E, H-A-R-E. rather than... Yeah body hair <laughs> okay cool 
Cool, mate. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for your time today. Awesome. Thank you so much for uh, fascinating dialogue. I said earlier, three hours can pass while you're writing. You don't know where the time's gone, but I didn't know we've been speaking for one one hour, 24 minutes. I've enjoyed every minute of that. So uh, thanks very much. Really appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Guys, thanks for tuning in. Check out the uh, show notes at thehiddenwide.com. All the links will be in there as well. Hope you've enjoyed this. Reach out to David. Thank him as well for coming on the show. And until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. Speak soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon